all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you will explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hiki. Hello, villagers. Happy Friday, you guys. We made it to the end of another week. This week felt heavy for me. It felt like it kind of went by in a blink of an eye, but it also kind of drug on. How was your week? Did you have a good week? Did you have a challenging week? A really busy week? Did you have a week filled with rejuvenation and relaxation? I hope. I hope that that's what my week next week is filled with. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Tranquility Tribe podcast, another Friday free talk. You're listening to episode number 64, and today we are diving into an interview that I had with a Harvard student. Her name is Lauren, and she's originally from Texas. She is the most adorable thing. We hit it off instantly, and unfortunately, we chatted for ages. So this is an edited view of the interview. Otherwise, this podcast episode might have been a few hours long. Lauren is writing her senior thesis on the profession of doulas and the impact that they're having on the landscape of maternal care in America. We dove into everything from bullying in the room to bullying between doulas to bullying between moms to why no one knows what a doula is and clarifying what our role actually is. The hierarchy in the hospitals and what care from a doula looks like. We talk about the tough parts of being a doula, but also the really amazing parts and how I found myself in this work. Lauren asked a lot of questions that I get asked on a typical day. People always have these questions, so this is why I wanted to share this interview with you. Also, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty fun to have an iTunes episode called My Harvard Interview. I hope that you guys enjoyed this interview. I hope that you learn a lot. And without any further ramblings for me, here is my Harvard interview. So like my first question I like to start off with is just like sort of tell me about your journey to becoming a doula. Yeah. Yeah. So mine is an interesting one. It's a long one and it's also a very peculiar one. So it's important to know that I originally am from Mississippi um, and then I hopped over state lines to Alabama and got my master's in human development and family studies. Um, My undergrad is in psychology. Um, So human development, family studies, psychology, mental health, infant development, all of that is um, what my formal education is in. I've worked with children doing behavioral therapy, um, children on the autism spectrum, sensory processing disorder, lots of behavioral challenges. And then when I went to the University of Alabama, I began to work in the infant classroom. That was my placement for my assistantship. Um, I got the choice of half of my assistantship, which was working with children on the autism spectrum, and then half of it was assigned to me, and that happened to be the infant classroom. In the infant classroom, I totally excelled. Um, Very quickly, I was handed a lot of responsibility. Um, Very quickly, I was running pieces of the day in the classroom, and I just essentially fell in love with infant development. I already had that psychology piece behind it, and the overall um, kind of human development, child development that came from undergrad, but in my master's we really, really dove into that um, from the beginning of conception or like before conception of, you know, kind of the, the right if you will, quote-unquote, right body that you need to get pregnant um, and how to get there all the way through conception, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, childhood, um, your marriage. So we did, I, I did a lifespan 
study is essentially what my master's is in. So in conjunction with that infant piece, doing that infant piece every day for my assistantship, that was hands-on in the classroom, I began to look into how do we support new parents when they come for the first time dropping off their brand new baby. I'm a stranger. This is a strange facility. So the University of Alabama is actually world-renowned. We have, um, they have tons of resources. Um, it was a really amazing learning institution to be able to have all those resources, right? It kind of showed me the cream of the crop. Um, unfortunately, the real world is not like that uh, when you get out into the real world. But learning there was really awesome. So I began to look at how we could support these parents for the first time, and it turned out that... Um, maternal health needs a lot of advocacy mm -hmm. um, and that actually uh, through my research I found that like actually these feelings of overwhelm and not feeling adequate enough and not feeling like you know what you're doing and not feeling prepared or as educated or like you you have all the resources things like that it happens in pregnancy so I thought holy crap how am I going to support people like in pregnancy I don't like what is that even and that's how I came across the word doula um, and I was actually introduced to the word doula from a girl that I worked with um, and she said you would be a killer doula like you would just be a phenomenal doula I can see it I can literally see it all over you and I was like I don't even know what that word means I've never <laughs> heard that word like what the heck a doula okay um yeah, jokes of, uh, like, my big fat Greek wedding, the Tula, comes to mind. So, like, you know, I was just, I totally joked about it in the beginning. And the class was $500, and I thought, okay, that's not too much change. Let's take the class. And if I love it, then I love it. And if I hate it, then I hate it. And at least I walked away a little bit more prepared for my own birth and, like, I don't know, maybe know my own body, right? So I did not realize going into this training how already educated and prepared I was, how so surface level the doula training is compared to what my formal education was, and how much of a final puzzle piece that doula training was. So for me, so for some people, it's the whole puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. The whole puzzle is that doula training piece. Um, for me, it's a tiny piece of my practice and it's a very 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 slim piece of what I pull from every day so when I actually think about my practice and what I do every day I'm pulling mainly from my formal education um, obviously the doula training gave me a wonderful overview and a refresher and a review of like the human body and the woman's body and the hormones um, what I learned and I have not ever been exposed to before doula training was the pain relief obviously that was so huge I didn't know anything about the pain relief so I walked away from this doula training, like guns blazing, ready to hit the pavement. I mean, I was like, it was crazy. I, uh, I was like salivating at the mouth. I could taste my success already so far. Um, so I left the first night. It's a four-day training. I left the first night, and I began to build my business. I made my website. I ordered... Um, business cards. By the end of the whole entire training, I had ordered um, brochures. I had, within a month, signed up for a conference. I had signed up for an expo to have a table. Like, I just hit the ground running. Um, it was one of those things that felt so natural, right? I was, like, just totally in my zone. I was vibing when I was dueling. It was, um, or it is, and so simultaneously while I was building this business I was also working in a local university as an infant teacher and um, I did toddlers as well so an infant toddler teacher and eventually my doula practice well actually just uh, 11 months after I first became a doula I had to close the doors on my university job because my doula business had taken off so much, it was um, it was time to close the chapter of being in the childcare mm -hmm. setting um, and being in the classroom specifically that I wanted away from. And then I thought, okay, perfect. I never have to like teach parents to do all this stuff again. And I missed it. God, 
I missed it so much. Um, and so I found that as my babies grew, their moms and their dads and their parents needed this support. And so I was being able to do what was in the classroom. It was just like with individual families. So I wasn't having to teach eight families at once. I was being able to focus on one family, right? So it was very different. But it also it satisfied that craving of like needing that parent interaction. Um, yeah, does that cover everything? Yeah, no, that's, that's, I have a very wonky story of how I got here. Yeah, definitely and then, a unique journey, but yeah, yeah, it's it's very backwards. So I think a lot of doulas, um, I think a lot of doulas either they like have this experience and then they get into doulahood, doula ing, um, the doula world. But I did it backwards. Mm -hmm. I actually did my training first, and then I had the experience um, that followed. And for me, it's much better that way. I was able to come with a very solid, uh, much more in-depth knowledge than most of my peers, many of my peers. Um, and so that having the experience follow that definitely was the right path for me. I am totally a, um, a hands-on learner. So if I can learn with the information already mm -hmm. in my pockets, that's where I really like flourish. So that's amazing. Yeah. What was your first birth? as a doula like um yeah so after I was trained my first birth it was it is burned into my brain a lot differently I think because I had approached it very differently right so like the smell was something that I had never like thought about but birth has a very distinct smell now that this is my field I now I'm like oh yeah birth definitely has a distinct smell right um I was much more cognizant of like reading my client's body language because I knew how to help I knew that pain relief that they were looking for whereas before I was trained as a doula I knew what was happening in their body. I knew the hormones. I knew physically what was going on, but I didn't have that pain relief piece um, that was solely from the doula training. Um, my first birth was absolutely amazing. So it was, uh, she was a mom that had had a first time traumatic birth and she almost died in her first birth. So did her baby. Um, they both made it and they're both super happy and healthy. And this birth was super scary for her. So she was very anxious. And I believe that to be my first client here in Boston, she could not have been any more perfect. Um, I joke around that my niche uh, kind of found me. I didn't find my niche. I did not niche down. My niche niched down on me, if you will. Um, so this mom, first time traumatic birth, she was really hoping to have an all-natural birth for this second one. She was really, really hoping to um, have a very gentle birth, and she did. It was all-natural. She did no medication. It was a very gentle birth. Um, look, I have the chill bumps. Oh my goodness, look at that. It, oh, they just like... Oh, they're all over my body. They're on my legs even. <laughs> they, um, when I left that room, she looked at me and said, I would not have been able to do this without you. Um, and it was different than just uh, someone just like saying like, oh, I wouldn't have been able to do this without you, right? It was her truly acknowledging like you played a crucial role in my birth. And I remember walking away from that I birth. I know, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm like about to cry. So I remember walking away from that birth and it was like, 2 a.m. in the morning, maybe even later, I don't even know, and I just walked, I, I got home, I didn't walk home, I drove home, I got home, and my partner was in bed, it was 2 a.m., and I woke him up, and I was like, get up, get up, I need to talk to you, I want to talk to you about everything that I just saw, like, I need to tell you all the things, it was so different being, like, a practitioner mm -hmm. versus a friend, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so that first birth actually catapulted my career, because that um, I, I call them um, traumatic moms, but it's because they have the traumatic birth, right? So that traumatic mom told another one, who told another one, who then told another one, who told another one, who told another one. And now I get calls of people who are not interested in an interview. They simply want to get on my calendar. Um, they have heard or read or been told by friends um, that as far as anxiety births, uh, first time traumatic births, I'm the doula to go to for that. Um, 
I've heard it multiple times, and at first, like I say, I was like, what? That, that's not me. I, I'm sorry. You're talking to Hee Hee. Are you sure you have the right number? Like, I'm sorry. Are you at 601 <laughs> 516? Like, what? What number are you at? Um, and then I realized, yeah, that that was, I think that was my power. And I didn't even know. I was not even aware of my own power. Um, I don't consider myself like a super grounding, calm person. Mm-hmm. Um, I identify more as like, hyper and bubbly and like upbeat and I I must just like totally change personalities when I go into the the birth room because there are so many testimonies that um, come back to me and they have somewhere written in there he he changed the energy the whole feel of the room changed when he he walked in I can't even describe to you how much more peaceful I was once I saw your face um you have no idea how brutal that was until you walked in the room or like gosh people have said all sorts of stuff it's just about like me controlling the energy in the Mm -hmm. room and it's funny because I've never identified like that I didn't know that I had such a dominant energy um and even in times that I did recognize I had dominant energy it was never in a grounding calm way um so it's really funny to see what your professional life Mm can pull out of you that you're not aware of um because that's exactly what happened i i like i say people are like calm grounding i am not who pops in (laughs) to my mind um but yeah that's a lot of what i get back so it's really cool to see um character traits that you don't necessarily see in yourself that's amazing and they're so vital right so they're like they're crucial to births yeah um yeah, I think that energy is a, a lot of why people hire me. It's awesome. Um, you kind of got into this, but my next question was gonna be about like, like your typical like clientele. Like, yeah. you said you worked with a lot of like traumatic moms and stuff. Yeah. But, like, so, what does your typical client look like? My typical client um, is high end, so I cater to the high end clients. Um, but a lot of high end people have anxieties. They have they have very stressful lives. Um, I have a lot of high profile clients that have um, prestigious jobs, and when you are at the top of your company and you're managing, you know, a Fortune 500 company, or you're managing an entire hospital system, you got a lot of crap, right? You got a lot of stress. Um, most of those high-profile people are males, so I'm dealing primarily with their partners. It overflows, right? It comes into your Mm -hmm. home. It's a ripple effect. Um, Not to say that none of my female clients are high-profile. I definitely have high-profile female clients. It's just more often their partners are... um, you know, the ones that have the high-stress job. But, yeah, I do a lot of um, anxiety work. I do a lot of mindset work with these moms. Um, so, yeah, I think those would be my two, and there's a little overlap. So pretty much all of my clients are um, are high-profile. Most of them have anxiety, and then my ones who are not high-end clients, they are coming to me specifically for the anxiety piece. Um yeah, those are pretty much, I see, I see a lot of beautiful births, but I see a lot of past trauma, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a lot of head work. It's a lot of upfront work, um, getting there. So, yeah, that's so interesting how you like walked, basically walked into like the anxiety oh, birth. and I had no clue, Yeah, right? I had no clue. I didn't even, it was not yeah. even anything I was trying to of cultivate mm-hmm. I think two pieces so I think definitely my master's helps I yeah mean, anytime sure. you have a, a master's in mental health it's gonna be helpful but <laughs> second of all I suffer from anxiety so I have anxiety I think it's super easy for me to resonate with like I hear you mm-hmm. that baby won't stop crying and that is so annoying I also wish that baby would shut up here's what you can't do you know you can't leave your baby and, and walk away you can't put your baby down and drive away here's what you can do you can tap out why don't you tell your partner or another human that's in the apartment like I can't do this anymore I'm gonna put this baby right here and I need somebody else to do it or you could 
count to 10. You could remind yourself of the three things that you love the most about your baby. You could remind yourself that this is temporary. You can even say like, right now, I literally hate my baby. They are so annoying. I love them at the end of the day, but right now in this moment, I do not like them. I'm gonna change their diaper because they need it and I'm a good mom, but I do not want to be around my kid right now. It's okay to have thoughts like that, right? You just can't put actions behind it. Um, what I would love to see more of in our country is actually dialogue about these type of conversations of like, my kid is so annoying right now. I love them, but I don't like them. What do I do about that? I think it's part of the shame of like, oh my God, I shouldn't even have these thoughts is how we end up in situations of abuse and neglect and moms just going totally off the deep end because they weren't supported, right? Mm -hmm. Or when they finally had the guts and the courage to tell somebody that they had thoughts like that, they were shamed. Instead of someone saying, oh my God, I hear you. I totally hear that. I mean, babies get on my nerves too. I love them, but they do. They're humans. Humans get on one another's nerves, right? That's kind of just what we do. So I think the whole approach of um, anxiety, mental health, kind of your inner dialogue, there needs to be a formal dialogue about this and what women's health actually looks like and what we want it to look like and what it can look like so if we look at other countries like they're there yeah so crazy like they're there they made it what are we doing what are we doing why are we here in a country that has so many resources so crazy there's so many smart people living in this country can't take better care of our women and our children. I mean, just today in the state of Massachusetts, in Watertown, we had a baby die in childcare. What are we doing, America? You know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of stuff that it's that kind of stuff that not only keeps me up at night but gets me up in the morning. Yeah, it really is. It's those type of things that make me go, okay, I just got out of a 39-hour labor and I'm still going to go to this interview because. I people to hear what I have to say absolutely yeah what are your biggest challenges as a doula challenge as a doula so number one not a lot of people know what a doula is (laughs) I've quickly learned that as people ask me what my not a lot of people know what that is second of all um it is helping under people, helping people understand exactly what our role is. So I don't catch your baby. It's not my job. I don't tell you whether or not you're in labor. That's not my job. I don't tell you, you know, whether what you're feeling is Braxton Hicks or rope contractions. I don't determine if what's coming out of you is normal fluid or your water's releasing. I don't determine those type of things. What I do do is give you information so that you can determine that on yourself. I help you kind of know what your rights are. I help you know what your options are. So, unfortunately, in America, um, and I say America only because I don't know about other countries. It's not to like dis America in comparison to other countries. I just don't know what other countries do. But fortunately, in America. Our hospitals, um, gosh, our hospital policies are dictated by people who aren't actually in the hospitals. They're dictated by insurance. People who have never set foot in a hospital, people who have not been to a hospital that they insure in years and years and years, if ever. But you get to make the policies about the people who attend this hospital. So, something that's really challenging is. Breaking that news to people in a gentle way because I in no way ever want to have someone distrust their doctors, right? Our doctors here are awesome. We're America. We have a lot of really great doctors here in America. However, every bag of cookies is going to have their broken cookie. We have our broken cookies. Our system is essentially pretty broken. We do things right. We do a lot of things right. We do a lot of things wrong, too. Um, We do a lot of things that are not in the best interest of moms, and it's really hard to walk that line, that fine line of, yes, I hear your doctor, and 
yes, I respect them as a doctor, but I need you as my client to understand that your doctor might not actually be calling the shots here. Although that's what it seems like on the surface. Mm -hmm. It seems like your doctor is saying, you need to have a C-section because you had a first C-section and that's just the way that it is because I believe that that's right for you. Where underneath the surface, what is more likely happening is that insurance is saying, hey, guess what? We ain't gonna cover you if anything happens and you let this woman have a vaginal birth after cesarean and you knew better and we told you you knew better and you should have just cut her open in the first place, right? They're not gonna help you. They're not gonna help our doctors. So until in America our doctors have a little protection and they have a little backbone and a little leg room to stand on and they have people who will go to fight for them because right now if you go to a court system and it's doctor versus client mm -hmm. more times than not that patient is going to walk away winning even if that doctor literally did everything they could and everything that they knew to do and something still went wrong that's backwards that's messed up that lets our doctors know that as a country we don't trust them and that's not right and we'll never get anywhere that way it will never ever ever make any leeway if I don't trust you as my doctor and you can't trust me as the doula because you know I don't trust you as a doctor that just doesn't make any sense so that is a huge that's a huge something um, it's something I have mastered in the last couple years um, well so TBH will be two years in November. Um, so we haven't quite hit our two-year mark, but um, in the last couple of years, I've learned how to master this of reassuring my clients that their doctors absolutely know what they're doing. They went to med school, right? I did not go to med school. I just had a little master's. I'm not a doctor, so I mean. But to understand questions that you can ask rather than take your doctor's word as is. Most doctors, if they know that there's a better choice for you and you ask that question, they're not going to lie to you, right? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe due to policy, maybe due to insurance, maybe due to whatever has their tongue held, they might not offer this information up front. But if you have a doula who's helping you figure out the questions to ask, mm -hmm. you can ask specific questions. And Nine times out of ten, your doctor's not going to lie to you. They do love you. I mean, they care for you. Yeah. They're doctors. They went into this profession for a reason. It's just, unfortunately, our system is so indoctrinated that our doctors don't have as much flexibility and freedom as, I don't know, most people think they do. That was, so I was kind of, one of my other questions is going to be about, like, navigating the hospital environment. Yeah. Um, you know, how are, like, your relationships, like, in the delivery room, you know, yeah. hospital policies, all of that. It sounds like it can definitely be a little bureaucratic. For um, sure. So when I first started in this world, I heard nothing but, like, horror stories, right? Everybody yeah. was like, you should go in and, like, not necessarily make your presence known, but, like, let them know you're a doula. Let them know that you know what you're doing. And so the first birth, I went in there, and I absolutely did not do that. I was like, absolutely not. I am not going to step on these toes. I am not a medical professional. I don't know what my place is necessarily right here. I'm a support person, but for the most part, I'm gonna just kind of take the back roads for a minute to figure out. And I did that for a few births, and I think that that ultimately also catapulted my career here in Boston because the hospital staff here and outside of Boston respect me utmost it is incredible um i walk through the doors and it never fails people are like hee hee hey like what's up we're so glad you're here that's awesome um you know if it's been a while since i've been at the hospital they'll be like whoa like what's up we haven't seen you in a while if i was there yesterday which has happened they'll be like long time no see right so um i a lot of times and this has just recently started happening so i i guess maybe in reflection I might be getting better at this, but for the last couple births that I have attended, I have been the only one counting during pushing. Um, and not it's not always counting, it doesn't always have to look like counting, but sometimes it's just directing that laboring person, that parent that's laboring. Um, maybe it's just directing them, but for the last, I would say five or six births that I've been at, naturally, all except one, it has just kind of faded 
and I've been the only one directing the mom. For one in particular, the OB stopped the room and said, he, he, go. And he directed me to do all the directing. It was really incredible. Um, yeah, I cried at that. It, made, yeah, it just like made me feel so happy and yeah. proud and like, I don't know, for an OB to recognize yeah. a doula, I just thought it was it not only special, but it was like really respectful. Like he didn't have to do that, yeah. right? He's the top dog in that room, no doubt. You reign over everybody. You are the top dog. And so for you to stop and to point to someone who arguably is the lowest person on the, on the totem pole, right? I'm not a nurse. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not the laboring person. I'm not their partner. It is arguably that I'm the lowest person on the totem pole. And for him to stop and say, he, he, go, was like so phenomenal. Well, here I go. It's really cool to see the progression. So as far as having relationships in the Boston hospitals, I have great relationships in the Boston hospitals. I also recognize that hierarchy 100%. I think, um, so on Facebook, there is always, 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 always duels that have problems with doctors. And I'm unsure through the post if this is like actual problems in the hospital room or is this just them like holding their tongue and then letting it out on Facebook Mm -hmm. um so I don't know if it's actual altercations but I can honestly say I've never once walked away from a birth and felt like I needed to like something was unsaid Mm -hmm. right or like something I don't know if uh, of the things that I've seen that I didn't disagree that I didn't agree with. I stood up right then and I said, like, actually, I'm not sure this is the right choice. Um, or I, I mean, I had flat out looked at my client once before and said, like, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. That's just not true. Um, she had had a nurse tell her that if she did not get the vitamin K shot. Um, which is for bleeding in the infant brain, right? Okay, so like vitamin K shot goes in your baby. This nurse tells the mom, if you don't get the vitamin K shot and something happens to your baby, you won't be able to see your baby for two weeks. Okay, first of all, it's a blatant lie. Second of all, fear-based, uh-uh, get it out of here. Absolutely not, get that out of town, especially in my town, no way. And third, I just couldn't hold it in. I just couldn't do it. I just looked at my client and said, that's not true. It's just not true, right? Yeah. Like, you're not going to lie to my clients and fear-monger them into making choices. I was not going to have that. Um, but generally, generally it's much more nicer and gentler and kinder <laughs> than that. Um, usually it looks like me saying something like, you know, Mary, do you have any questions about if there are any other reasons you might need a c-section other than your baby just measuring large do you have any questions on the accuracy of how we can measure babies before they're born you know things like that you have questions that you can ask to get to the bottom of it and if the only reason that your doctor is saying that you need a c-section is for a large baby mm-hmm. chances are you don't really need a c-section you know and that's that's what i'm there for so yeah. i think um yeah having those hospital relationships i think partly it helps that um, I am so educated, so I, I imagine it would be much more difficult for someone who couldn't hold their own in a conversation. Um, your, your hospital staff, some of them, I won't lump them all together, some of them have a way of really being demeaning, right? So if you don't have a, a medical background. Um, luckily, so I don't have like a quote-unquote medical background, but luckily I worked in the hospital all throughout undergrad, so I do have that medical lingo. I understand... Um, the machines and I can read the things it helps because it makes me a little bit more of an equal playing field I think they see me as a little bit more of someone who they can relate to mm-hmm. um, so yeah I have an awesome relationship I worked well I was gonna say I've worked really hard for that reason but I haven't really I just have been myself I just go mm-hmm. into the birth rooms I help my client I try and be as helpful as possible to the medical staff um, I don't know. I have a great relationship, yeah. and it, it, it really works in my favor. So, 
that's awesome to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's not the case for everybody, and it makes me sad. I know actually a lot of people are in business a lot longer than I, and so maybe when I have had TBH for 25 years, I will look back and I'll say, you know, I do have a shit list of people who mm -hmm. are not my favorite providers, and here are providers I will absolutely not refer to, but right now, approaching my two-year mark, I don't have that, and it makes me smile. It makes me super that's happy. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, this is such, like, a broad question. You've kind of, like, answered it in bits and pieces, but what's the biggest reward of being a doula? Mm. <laughs> That's a trick question. That's, like, yeah. unfair to ask. Yeah, That's I like know, I know. asking what my favorite child is. <laughs> my favorite piece. Honestly, it's not even the births. It is... I think it's watching people take control of their own life because people come to me so scared mm -hmm. they come to me sometimes they're really excited but sometimes they're not excited not all pregnancies start off with excitement so sometimes happiness sometimes not always a little worry and always always fear I have a third time mom due in January and she is as scared about this birth as she probably was for her first. How is that possible? You've done it twice now. I just don't get it. So the anxiety, the fear, watching people take control of their own lives and those light bulbs, because you can see it. You can see their wheels start turning, and then you can see their light bulb go ding, and you're like, yep, you just got it. And it's awesome, and it happens in every single stage. So it happens prenatally. I see light bulbs go off. It happens during the birth. I see light bulbs go off, and that can be in your partner too. So sometimes it's not until we get into the birth, and then the partners are like, bingo, got it. All has clicked in. Now I know what I'm doing. Let's get this show on the road. And then it happens in parenthood too. It happens all throughout parenthood. So from the moment, from the moment that your baby is handed to you, light bulbs are going off of things that I've already talked to you about, I've already educated you, I've already prepared you, I already prepped you to know what to expect. Um, and then throughout childhood, and so I generally stay with my clients until their child's first year of life. Um, I do have a couple babies that are um, two and three, and they are either in the midst of potty training or about to start potty training. So I do anything and all the things from teaching you how to baby wear and swaddle your baby to introducing solids to exploring various options like glass bottles versus plastic bottles versus uh, cloth diapers and disposable diapers, um, all sorts of your strollers, your car seats, your bassinets, all the things. So a piece of being a maternity concierge is I have all of these like grandiose lists of things, um, baby gear items that I can send out to my clients and it helps you know like the specs of each. So like the weight of each of the strollers and um, gosh, I don't know, the weight of the car seats and what car seats are appropriate for what cars and what car seats are appropriate for what children, um, things like that. So, yeah, you get to see light bulbs go off kind of all, all over. And then outside, which it's not really outside of, it's definitely within my doula practice. I have a podcast. It's probably my favorite thing that I do. I love my podcast. I get to meet so many cool people. I get to interview really cool people. So I'm, like, obsessed with podcasts, so <laughs> Tune into yeah. mine. So mine is the Tranquility Tribe podcast. It's on iTunes. Um... It is so cool. I get to get on there and learn. I get to educate. Mm -hmm. I get to vent. I mean, it's my podcast, right? So yeah. I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. Sometimes I get on there and I do. I just let loose and I'm like, this is total BS. I won't stand for it. Here's how we feel about it at the TVH tribe. Get on board or get out the door. Um, and it's awesome. It gives me a platform to do that, and it also gives me a free platform that I can get a lot of information out to a lot of people. So we have nearly 6,000 listeners. We're in over 26 countries. That's amazing. Um, thank you. It is, it's taken off incredibly. We have 61 episodes out so far, and we just started it in February. So, 
it has taken off, yeah, incredibly. 2018 has been like a like psychotic, but a happy psychotic year. Like I felt, I felt like I was doing like major drugs all year long because I was just going from one yeah. thing to the next, and it was all kind of a big blur. But it was, it was definitely a huge year of growth, but like really great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Um, just sort of like generally, why should a mother have a doula? Mm-hmm. So, taking control of your life piece. I think uh, birth, unless you've been there before, you don't know what it's like. Even second, third, fourth time moms, this birth will be different. I promise. Um, there, there's never two the same. They can be similar, they can be very alike, but there are not two births that are the same. Unless you're twins. If you're twins and you come out the same, you come out <laughs> together, you have the same birth. That's unfortunate. Anybody else is not a twin, you don't have to share your birth with anybody else, right? Like, your, your children are going to have very different births. So, yeah, I think just taking control of your life being able to have the access that you you want, being able to have the education so that you can make the decisions that are right for you based on what you want, to have that extra person that is there that is only your cheerleader. So your nurses and your doctors, they're your cheerleaders too, but at the end of the day, their loyalty is pledged to the hospital. Mm-hmm. If it came time to choose sides, you or the hospital, they're going to go with the hospital. Hospital pays their bills. Guess who pays my bills? You. I'm on your team. No matter what, no matter how the court is divided, I will always be on your side. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of what it is, is to mm-hmm. have someone there that you can rely on, who is educated, who is non-biased. So another thing, um, it's really important to find somebody who's not biased. So I think that me not having children is a super extra special quality and something that I honed in on from the very beginning. Um, I use it as a selling point all the time and people see the value in it. I have never had a baby. I am not attached to any birth story. I have no birth story to compare this to and I don't know what it feels. So when or what it feels like. So when you say my pain is a seven and they check you and you're only a three and I know as a doula that those numbers shouldn't match up, what's it to me? Your pain's a seven and you're a three to me. That's what that means to me. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to compare it to. I don't have any stronghold to any story mm-hmm. other than your story. And so for me, that's super interesting. It is yeah. super special. I get to share. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love, love, love being a doula without babies. I really do. It's one of my most prized like characteristics of myself that I know will change. So I'm like hanging on to it and savoring it because um, eventually I will have kids. And it'll change. It'll change my practice for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I hope by the time I have kids that TBH is kind of up and running on its own. And I can step back mm-hmm. and I can uh, manage from afar. Um, so yeah. Yes. That's the hope. The hope is to set up a life for my kiddos that I can like be super involved in their everyday life and also provide from them. Yeah, I feel like from who I've talked to, a lot of doulas come into a profession after oh, yeah. having, giving birth yeah. because of their own experience. Exactly. And so it's interesting to look at it at that lens about how not having the experience of birth is actually like yes, really special and like a really good perspective. Well, it just goes back to the education piece, right? So yeah. I got into this because it's truly my passion from an educational mm-hmm. standpoint. I care to take this information out into the world and educate other people because I see the value. A lot of other doulas, most other doulas, got into this because it's their passion because of their own experience. Well, that clouds things a little. Mm -hmm. You're coming to this with your own experience. Am I saying it clouds things in a negative way? Absolutely not. It could definitely cloud things in a positive way, but it clouds things nonetheless. Um, so yeah, I think that I came in from a very, from the opposite end, right? Everyone's coming from the left of already having babies and they got into this because their passion was ignited through their own experience. Mm. I'm coming in from a hard right, all education background behind me. This is my passion because I cared about it before I knew that birth 
quote-unquote birth was a thing um obviously birth is a thing but I, I found out about it you know or it was my passion before I knew that the whole birth piece was a piece of it um so yeah it's very different isn't it weird to see like everyone's different journeys yeah it's really so crazy isn't it yeah yeah I always love to hear people's journeys too so the people on my podcast um I always say like tell us a little bit about who you are and like how you got to where you are and people have fascinating stories they're fascinating stories it always blows my mind how some people have stories like mine though that you didn't know I didn't know along the way obviously that would be a birth worker I started out working with kids on the autism spectrum I didn't know that working with those children and delivering sensitive information like your child got a diagnosis of autism today to parents like life-shattering diagnosis and information was really preparing me and shaping me and molding me to deliver sensitive information like it looks like a c-section is going to be best and I know that you really 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 wanted a natural vaginal delivery and that's unfortunately it's not in the cards for you for this birth (laughs) that sucks that's a hard conversation to have um, it doesn't ever come for me. I never deliver that information up front. That's a medical thing. Mm-hmm. But who is left to pick up the pieces yep. after that doctor walks out is me. And so to be able to pick up those pieces is the same pieces that I picked up from the parents who just got a diagnosis of their five-year-old. It's the same pieces of that mom that fought so hard hard to get her child an IEP in the public schools and was eventually told no, even though their child definitely needed it, right? So all of those experiences, while they weren't birth related, they shaped and cultivated me and it's really weird slash awesome slash cool slash eerie slash whoa universe to see how all the pieces fell together. It's really wild. It's crazy. Um... This is finally, like, are there any sort of misconceptions or stuff that we haven't really touched on that you think is, like, important for sort of the world to know, like, about dual work, about hmm. birth in general? Yeah, actually. Um, and I've just, I've become this advocate for uh, bullying. So bullying happens a lot in the birth world. And it is something that I think the world doesn't know about. Um, Bullying happens between providers. Bullying happens between providers and doulas. Between doulas and clients. Between providers and clients. Between doulas and doulas. I mean, heck, between mom and moms, right? Like, moms bully each other all the damn time. It's insane, and it's so sad. There's a bully, doula, here in Boston who bullies me all the time. All the time. She's sending out Facebook messages of that I'm a nasty person, and I this and I that. (laughs) It's so hilarious because she knows that people screenshot them and send them to me, and yet she still doesn't stop. Um, So the birth world has this nasty corner in it it does overall it's a really beautiful world I have I mean my goodness I have met some of the most fantastic people to be honest honestly the most fantastic people I have met people who love women's health women babies vaginas vagina health like all the things so much and I would never have had them in my life otherwise if it wasn't for the birth world but I've also encountered really ugly people who are just not kind people. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because in the birth world, this is a place of not only extreme vulnerability. So no client, whether it be from a doula, a provider, or another mom, should ever be bullied. And then to think that women who are in the same industry can do doula versus doula bullying. It's yeah. really insane. It reminds me of like junior high. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like a 30 something year old woman with children. 
bullying another adult. It's so insane to me. So yeah, I think um, I think as far as things that that people don't know about the birth world is that bullying happens much more often than you think it does, and it appears in ways that you don't think it does. So to me, that nurse telling my mom that you weren't going to be able to see your kid for two weeks if you don't have this shot, that is a that is bullying. That is bullying. You do not get to say that to people. Yeah. You don't get to say that to people. It's not the truth. It was a lie and you're being a bully. And so, yeah, it happens. It's the ugly truth of the birth world. But, um, yeah, I have really high hopes. I mean, it brings a smile to my face because I do envision a world of, like, everyone just kind of like having their babies where they want to have them like if you want to have your baby at home do it if you feel more comfortable in a hospital there will be a hospital but I envision a world where like birth is this very natural thing and um, it's not something that people are afraid of and it's not something that is an isolating event I wish that it was more of a community thing um, not the actual birth uh, but you know my whole idea my whole philosophy is building that village and so I think Part of building that village is being able to call upon your village, um, and part of being able to call upon your village is putting that village into place before you're like there in the thick of it. So don't wait until your baby is here and you're like two weeks in and your partner has to go back to work and you need help. Start putting those people into place while you're pregnant, you know? Um, start building that community before you're pregnant. You need to find people who are like you in life even if you move across the country, I mean, I mentioned in the beginning, I'm from Mississippi, and so a lot of my friends are down south, but these are the people I'll be raising my babies with. Thank God we have FaceTime and, and phones these days. But, yeah, I think building your village is a huge piece of... Um, I just saw your water thing. bottle, and that's perfect, perfect for that. Find your yep. tribe, love them hard. Find your tribe, love them hard. That's my, um, that's my tagline for my podcast. And then, um, yeah, just building your village. Yeah. So I call myself, I call our TBH, we're the TBH tribe, but it's our villagers, um, all of our people. And we have an awesome community. Um, my clients support one another. We have a great Facebook group. It's, um, it's awesome. It's really awesome to be able to like cultivate your own village. It is really cool. Humans are cool. <laughs> Humans are just cool. Well, villagers, not exactly the Harvard interview that I'm sure you had pictured when you first saw the title of the episode, but it could be the closest thing that I ever get. Thank you so much for spending some of your Friday with me. Your time does not go unnoticed. I know you're so busy. You've made it to the end of this week. I'm proud of you. You should be proud of yourself. Go out into the weekend. Have a relaxing weekend. Have a safe weekend. And hug those people that are super close to you. Happy Friday, y'all. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.